Hey, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Thank you for being here on this beautiful Sunday morning. Um, hey, if you get our weekly email, this past week I, I shared something with you. I told you that um, we have our middle child is graduating from high school on this Tuesday. And uh, one thing I would like to say is we had a party for her last night and too many people in our house and uh, like two days of prep. So if today's message stink, it's, it's her fault, okay? So I just want to... <laughs> I'm going to throw that out there, but, um, but the, the real thing is in the span of seven months in our house, we have two of our kids, our two oldest ones, that will, will be out, and um, I, I put in the email, I said, I didn't really want to share with you the feeling that I had about this, and I just decided, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this morning, okay, we're friends, so here's my thinking about two kids being out, one still left in the house, two down, one to go, <laughs> pretty excited. Three years, two months, ten days, and we'll get that third one out, and uh, it's going to be great. We're going to be empty nesters with a whole lot of college debt to pay, but um, anyway, as I was kind of thinking about this and this transition that's happening in our house, it's a reminder that time is flying by. Kara has uh, one of those digital photo albums in the house, and um, I walk past it, and I'm like, hey, you got to turn that off. She's like, why? I said, I can't look at those. Because it was like two days ago, our kids were running around in their diapers, and, and they were learning how to ride a bike, they were learning how to walk, they were learning how to talk, and, and now they're leaving our nest, and it's like, oh, time is flying by. And I know this is going to sound weird, but I'm thinking about time flying about by in our house. I'm thinking about how time flies by in this thing called the church. Because I believe that in the church world, we sometimes get focused on things that really aren't that important. And when I'm talking about church today, I'm going to talk about the church worldwide. I'm talking about the church as a whole. And if it's about the journey specifically, I'll say something about that. But, but I think we're focused on some of the wrong things. I mean, maybe you've been a part of churches or you've heard church stories where there's been some issue, some problem has come up, and, and it splits the church. That's why you go to some cities and on some streets you'll have... First Baptist and Second Baptist and Third Baptist and Twelfth Baptist, right? And it's not because they're like, we're going to plant churches. It's because the churches have divided. I'm not making fun of the Baptists here, but the churches will divide and, and they'll start these other churches because of something that's happened within the church. And so, so I begin to think, do we in the church realize how short our time is here on earth? And have we lost focus on what's most important? And so that's why we're in this series called Better Together. That this thing called the church is always better when we are together. And last week as we started, we talked about partnering together. And we said, hey, the, the church is here and it's a place where people meet Jesus and their faith grows. But then we build these relationships with each other. We, we build it within this church community. And when we do that, we're, we have to also realize we're on mission together. To do what? To help more and more people take their next steps towards Jesus. I mean, that is why the church exists. That's why we are here. But today, I want to talk about this mission that we're on together and why it's important that we do this as a team in this church community. Now, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we have been in one series on the book of Philippians. We just started a brand new one last week. And uh, if you're not familiar with Philippians, it's actually a letter that we find in the New Testament. It's written by a guy named Paul. Um, Paul was a church planner. He was a pastor. He would go to these cities. He'd start these churches. He'd get them going. He'd put leadership in place. And then he would move on to go do this somewhere else. 
But one of the things he would do, he would try to go back and visit these churches, but, but he couldn't do that all the time, so he'd write these letters back. And in these letters, he would encourage the people of that church. Uh, he would thank the people of that church. We see that quite a bit in Philippians. He would also give them grief. Like when they needed grief, he would give them grief. But this is a, a way that he could communicate with them. Now, Paul writes this letter about 62 A.D., uh, his life is coming to an end in the next few years, and he just doesn't know it at this point. But he's under house arrest in Rome, about 800 miles away from where this church actually sits. But this church has been sending him money. They've been sending him clothing. They've been sending him food. They've been trying to help him out. And so he writes this letter to thank them for that. But today we're going to look at what Paul feels is most important for this church and we're going to be in Philippians again. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 27 through 30. We're going to spend our whole time there. Now, understand, Paul was an extremely smart dude, okay? But we think he might have missed punctuation class one day. Because these verses we're going to read, it's actually one long, drawn-out sentence. Now, I'm not going to read it that way. The way he wrote it, I'm going to read it the way we would read it with punctuation in here. But, but this is one big long sentence, verses 27 through 30. Here's what it says. Paul writes, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. But what you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in the struggle together. You've seen my struggle in the past. And you know that I am still in the midst of it. 14 A.D., Caesar passed a law that everyone in the Roman Empire had to learn the art of rhetoric. Now, only 15% of the people living in that time, in that place, could actually read or write. But he, he felt like this was really important to the Roman Empire. Now, what is the art of rhetoric? The art of rhetoric, rhetoric is the art of persuasion. You're trying to get somebody else to be on your side. And so they were teaching this throughout the Roman Empire. Now, there was a template that they used for this. And the template kind of went like this. There would be this first part of it where you sort of do the introduction. You're, you're trying to get the people on your side to actually listen to what you have to say. The second piece to this was you would underline the subject. You would say, here's the subject of this discussion that we're going to have. And then the last piece was the proclamation or what you and I would call today the thesis. It's amazing to me because if you think about that template, I mean, it's Kind of what you do on Sunday morning, right? But uh, it's what we do in any presentation. It is uh, really still common for us today. But if you take that rhetoric template and you place it here in Philippians, you're going to find that Paul really follows that pattern. Now, verses 27 through 30 that we're reading here, that's that third piece. This is his thesis. This is the main point. And I think that's probably why it's just one big long run on sentence. Paul's trying to tell these people, hey, I need you to listen to this piece. I need you to understand this because everything I'm going to write in the rest of this letter to you is based on this thesis. It's based on these verses or words in 27 through 30. And so I want to kind of talk through that this morning because it helps us understand this mission that you and I are on together. 
Now, I do want to add something. Uh, I, I did uh, get a little bit of information for this message from a pastor and author out in Portland, a guy named uh, John uh, Michael Comer, and uh, John Mark Comer, sorry. Uh, so not everything is mine today, just throwing that out there. Not like every Sunday, everything's mine, but uh, I just want to make sure because I used some of his stuff for today's sermon because it was just so good. I want to go to the very first line here in this part of the passage. Paul says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Paul is very strategic in using those words at the very beginning of his thesis. And it's because there's really this interplay between what's happening in the Roman culture at that time and what Paul is trying to see happen through you know, the kingdom of, of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so there's really these four things that, as you kind of look through this, that, that come out in what Paul's writing here in this context of his writing. Here's the first thing. You have the empire, right? You got the Roman Empire. It, it, is, it is big. It is powerful. It stretches from England down to India. It is the global, economic, political military power at the time and uh, and one of the things it was bringing was peace you know this was the, the time of peace there in this empire and, and the reason there was peace is you didn't have these little nation states that are always at war with each other because Rome had come in and, and conquered them and so you've got this peace right and so you've got this Roman empire that you start out with and then you have the Caesars these are the leaders these are the rulers of the human or the Roman empire uh, they they are not human in their minds they said, hey, we're gods. We're sons of gods. Uh, Nero, who's in power at the time that, um, uh, that Paul is writing this, this letter, he said that he was the savior of the world. He, he called himself the Lord over everybody who brings salvation. And, and this is language that's familiar to you and to me. But, but they looked at themselves as something different than everyone else. And these are the Caesars. And then you have the gospel. Now we hear that term, we're like, oh yeah, the gospel, I get that. It's kind of like the good news about Jesus and that's in the Bible. But that wasn't the case at this point in time. The gospel was something very different. It was a very common term in those days. Uh, if there was a new Caesar that came into power, these messengers, these heralds would go to the cities, they go to the city square, and they would yell out, they would tell the people this proclamation, right? They would say, hey, there's good news, there's a gospel I'm going to share with you. There's a new ruler in place, a new leader, he's the savior of our world, he's the lord of our world. And, and so the people were used to hearing the gospel, but a little bit different than what you and I are familiar with. But this term was popular in those days. And then you have the colony. We, we talked about this a few weeks back, that Philippi was a Roman colony. Rome, as they would conquer these places, uh, they would grant Roman citizenship to usually about 300 Roman soldiers that were veterans in their military. Uh, they would send them with their families to these colonies to live. And the purpose is pretty simple. They're bringing in all this Roman culture, right? They're bringing in Roman culture. The people are going to start to use the Latin language. Uh, they're going to start to worship the, 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 the Roman gods. They're going to have Roman thinking and the Roman way of life. And so they're sending these people there to bring Rome to these particular cities and these colonies of Rome. What does this do? Well, it allows the Roman culture to spread and to expand. And so it is in the midst of all of this that Paul is writing this 
letter. Think about it this way. It's 62 AD. You live in Philippi. It's a busy city. Uh, pretty decent size. 10, 15, 20,000 people who live there. It's a commerce center. It's a part of a trade route. So you've got visitors coming in and out, business people doing business all the time in this city. Um, everywhere you look, there's a Roman culture. Everything is Roman all around you. There's Roman thinking, a Roman way of, of life. And, and in the midst of this city and this colony, there is this church community. Now think about it being a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. They're coming together to meet. There's about 40 to 50 people in this church that's there. And they, they go to Lydia's house. Uh, she's a wealthy businesswoman does very well. She's from Asia. She's known for the purple she sells. And so they go to her house because there's enough room for everybody. And they, they go to the courtyard where you would normally meet in these settings. And in that courtyard, they begin to worship together. So they're singing songs together and someone's given a message and there's some time for prayer. And, and then at the end, they eat together. And in the midst of this meal, they, they have communion as this church community. But then someone's like, hey, we, we just got a letter from Paul. And everybody's like, oh, we haven't seen Paul. How's Paul doing? What's going on? Sit down. Let's read it. Let's hear what Paul has to say. And, and so they sit down, and someone begins to read this, this letter to them. And he does this introduction, and this is who I am. This is what's going on. This is what's important to me. This is a subject I'm going to talk about. And then he gets to this thesis here, and he says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. The actual translation for that phrase and what Paul writes is live as citizens of the gospel of the king. Live as citizens of the gospel of the king. Now when those words come out of the reader's mouth, here's what I bet's happening. Those 40 or 50 people, <gasps> they start gasping. And some of them are probably like, shh, don't say that too loud. There's people who might be outside these walls that hear that. Because those words that Paul says right here, live as citizens of the gospel of the king, they are politically charged. Paul is taking on the Roman government by saying that. He's, he's trying to turn upside down everything that they know. He says there's an alternative to this current government, to this current context that we live in. But the problem is those words that Paul uses. Because the words Paul uses right here will get you thrown into prison. And oh, by the way, who's in prison? Paul, for saying these things, right? And people are probably like, we told Paul he shouldn't be saying these things. But there he goes. But not only does it get you thrown in prison, but it can also get you executed. And again, we'll find that that happens to Paul in a few years from this. Paul is saying, hey, there's something way better than this Roman government. There's something better than the life that we see that's out there in the city around us. There's something more important than this empirical religion. If we kind of go back to those four things we talked about a little bit earlier. We go to empire. Paul's like, hey, the empire, the Roman empire, it's not much of anything. In fact, it's a parody. It's not that important. Here's the deal. The, the, the real kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. The real kingdom is the kingdom of God. That's what's real. This, this Roman thing is, is nothing at all. I think it goes to the Caesar all those words that were used to describe 
Caesar, the rulers, Savior, Son of God, Lord. All those words, Paul's like, those aren't appropriate for a human that's in this leadership role. Those words are appropriate only for Jesus. In fact, Paul gets in trouble for this. Uh, and again, that's why he's in prison. But we read a little bit about this back in Acts. He's in Thessalonica, and there's this tension that's happening within this particular church. People are coming after Paul. And so Acts chapter 11, verse 7, someone says this about Paul. It says, They are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. Paul would be like, yep, that's exactly what I'm doing. That's what I believe, and I'm not going to stop doing that. And so there's this, this change in, in who the ruler is and who the ruler should be. Then there's the gospel piece. Um, that goes back to who is this good news about? And if you go back to Acts chapter 11, Paul's really making this royal announcement that the real king exists. The real king lived a life and was put to death and came back to life. I mean, the real king is Jesus, not, not these emperors, not these Caesars, not these rulers of the Roman Empire. But there's kind of a funny piece to this, though. If Paul said, hey, you should believe in Jesus, you should follow Jesus, and you'll go to heaven, the Roman Empire, the people, they, they didn't care. You could say that all day. They would come back to you, and they'd say, hey, you know what? That's great, Paul. You be you. You believe what you want to believe. For us, we know we believe when we die, we're going to meet the messenger god, Mercury, and they were, they're going to escort us to the river Styx, and then we're going to pay this person to take us over into the underworld. I mean, that, that's what we believe. So you can believe whatever you want to believe, but when you got to this place of saying, hey, Caesar is not king, but Jesus is, that's when you started messing with the Roman Empire, and that's when they came in and threw you in prison. That's when they came in and executed you because you didn't mess with the empire. And so Paul's like, here's what the true good news is. Here's the true gospel. And then this colony word. Uh, back to the first words in that verse. Paul uses the phrase, live as citizens. When Paul uses that phrase, he's not saying separate from the world. He's not saying, hey, since you follow Jesus, you need to build these communes and you need to live separated from the world. You need to come up with your own school curriculum. You need to come up with your own media. You got to ban all media. Come up with your own media. Oh, and by the way, you need to boycott any company that doesn't do what you think they should be doing. This is what the life you should be living. That's not what Paul says. You don't read that in any of Paul's writings. You don't hear that in any of Jesus' teachings. Paul says, you know how Rome takes this group of Romans and puts them in these cities so all this Roman culture will begin to infiltrate the people and to become Roman. He's like, yeah, that's what you do for Jesus, that you live as citizens of heaven and you live your life in such a way that you bring heaven to earth. Right? Isn't that what Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer? Maybe done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, that's the idea that Paul is saying, hey, you be Jesus in the place that you live. Don't separate yourself. Be a part of that. Bring the teachings of Jesus to this place so lives can begin to be changed. So here's Paul who's fighting this religious, political, military power at that time. And he does it by saying, hey, here's the context we live in. But here's what's even more important than that. Because Paul is trying to get more and more people to follow Jesus. 
But then Paul's like, you know, you want to know how you do that within the setting that we're in. And uh, he says we do this together. Now, if you go to verses 29 and 30 and read down towards the bottom, it talks about enemies and talks about struggle. Uh, there, there's a couple of thoughts here. One, there could have been some people that used to be a part of this church who were uh, in the Roman authority. And then they left and then things started to change quite a bit and they started to hear what they were teaching and they started to put some pressure on this church to stop teaching those teachings. That could have been part of it. Uh, there's definitely some theological views that came into this church that Paul is like, hey, we're working on this together. So they're struggling through that a little bit. But he reminds them, how do you deal with these struggles? He says, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. You have athletic language and military language Paul uses right here in this part of this, this thesis. First is standing together with one spirit and one purpose. The idea here is you got to have a strong defense, right? 1985, the Chicago Bears, their defense was called the Monsters of the Midway, arguably the best defense ever in NFL history. Uh, that year, they had 64 sacks, 34 interceptions. Uh, they kept the, uh, the opposing team to average 12.4 points per game across the course of the whole year. And in three playoff games, the most or the total scores that the other teams had was 10. Like, this team was absolutely amazing. All the while putting out probably the, the worst rap video of all time, the Super Bowl shuffle, right? Anybody remember that? Nobody, nobody's perfect, are they? But it was all about this defense. I mean, this defense was, was so, so good that their, their offense, they needed to score many points because this group understood what it meant to be a team. They understood what it meant to be under one spirit and with one person, a purpose and to be under one mission. And they lived that out as a football team, and it helped Chicago win a Super Bowl that year. But that's not really any different than the church should be either. That we should be one spirit, and we should be under one purpose, that we should be unified in what we're doing. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more uh, next week. But when times are tough, we're together. When, when issues arise, we are together. When theology is being questioned, we, we are answering those questions together. And the reason is pretty simple. We want to see more and more people take their next steps towards Jesus. And so here's Paul's like, hey, you need to stand firm with one spirit and one purpose. And then he says this, he says, fighting together for the faith. Uh, this is the military language that Paul uses. And the Philippians would have been familiar with this with the Roman army. There was this group of uh, extremely skilled spearmen. They, they had these spears that were 13 to 21 feet long. And uh, this group was 16 rows deep. And the first five rows, they would have their spears and they would hold them out horizontally towards the enemy, right? As they're coming toward them or as they're going towards them. But then the last 11 rows, they would either hold their spears vertically or they would lay it on the shoulder of the soldier in front of them. Now, this group was so tight, you were walking toe to heel to the person in front of you and shoulder to shoulder with the person beside you. I mean, this was a, a tactical strategy that, that brought about a lot of wins for Philip II and then his son, Alexander the Great. 
And so when Paul uses this language right here, this imagery comes to mind for the Philippians as they're hearing this be read. And what, here's what Paul's saying. It's like to advance the gospel, right? This is the offensive part. You have to do it side by side. We're team-oriented. We're moving in the same direction. We're living out the same mission. It goes back to what we talked about last week, that, that in our relationships together in a church community, we are on mission together to see more and more people take their next steps towards Jesus. And if we function in that way, if we are fighting together for the faith, it brings the spread of the good news of Jesus to the world we live in. It's a lot of information about Paul. It's a lot of information about Philippians and their context. But what does that mean for us today? Well, there's a question to answer. And that question is, what gospel do I believe? What gospel do I believe? Do I believe in the gospel of Jesus or do I believe in the gospel of Caesar? Now you might be saying, well, what's the gospel of Caesar? Well, there's a lot of gospels out there. Let's just be honest with ourselves. There, there are things in life that we see that we think are the good news that's going to bring us our salvation. It's going to give us what we need or most of the time what we want, right? Uh, there's the gospel of beauty and there's the gospel of fitness and social media and food and the gospel of government and education and, and relationships. We believe that these things will save us, they will make us whole, that they will give us life. And so we'll spend a lot of time and effort and money to follow those gospel messages. And Paul would say, that's not the gospel. That's pretty much the Roman Empire. That's following Caesar. That's not following Jesus. And we are called to follow Jesus. Which gospel are we following? But then the question is, how can we live out the gospel of Jesus over the gospel of Caesar? And Paul would say, you do this together. Like, if you really want to experience what this is like, you, you do this together. That, that's why church is so important. Now, I, I know there are people who will say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ, but I don't go to church. I, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. I will tell you that is not true. Okay? That's not how this works. Nowhere in scripture does it say, hey, you go do your thing. You go be you. You can still follow Jesus. You don't need a church community. There's nothing that says there's something that's powerful about this group of people together in this church community. And Paul would say to live the life you're called to live, to live on mission together, you do it within the relationships that you have within the church community. Like That's the power of the gospel being lived out in the world that we lived in. Now, how do we do this practically? A couple of weeks ago, uh, and even last week, I guess, I talked about neighborhood groups. And, um, and, and I said, it's something we, we started a couple years back, and it, I, think, I think it's transformed our groups here at The Journey. It is an opportunity for us to be in these smaller settings. And a couple of pieces to this. We want you to know people from The Journey where you live. It used to be if you were in a group, you might have to drive 30, 45 minutes to get to that group. And that just doesn't work for people. We want you to live beside the people you go to church with. We want you to be connected to the people that you go to church with. And so that's why we have these neighborhood groups set up in our neighborhoods. But the second piece to this is we wanted to build smaller communities of people who are living out mission together. And again, we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week as we talk about working together. But to me... 
I love knowing that where I live, that there are two groups that meet, and that if I need anything, I can contact the people in my group or the other group, and people will come and help. That I know there are people in my group that pray for me, and everything's happening where we live, and we're praying for our neighbors, and we're interacting because we're, we're close to each other. There's, there's something powerful about that. Well, you're not calling somebody, they're like, hey, traffic's really bad. I'll bring your dinner about 8.30. And you're like, well, we're already done eating. And, you know, we don't want that. We, we want this to be something. You need a babysitter, you call somebody. They can be there quickly. You need food because someone passed away or somebody's sick. People can be there quickly to help out. I mean, there's something powerful about being in these communities together. But beyond that, it's living out the mission of Jesus in our neighborhoods. It's coming together and saying, hey, we, we want to see more and more people know who Jesus is right here where we live. And so these things are really in their infant stages, if you will. It usually takes three to four years for that really to kind of gel. But, but I love what we are doing with our neighborhood groups. And by the way, again, groups, people hate when I do this, but um, do the QR code. Uh, fill out the connection card. I only say that because our groups kind of slow down during the summertime. Um, but at the end of July, I said this last week, we're bringing our groups together in certain quadrants just to, just to say, hey, there's more people close to where you live. And so fill out that card on the QR code. Uh, fill out the connection card. Take it to our tent outside as you leave. Ask questions about our neighborhood groups. We'd love to see you get connected if you're not in one already, especially if you're brand new to the journey. Uh, it's a great, powerful way to see the mission of Jesus lived out. And, and we've got even bigger plans for those groups. And we're hoping they continue to expand because there's, there's power behind that. But in the end, time is fleeting. And time is short. And we see that in our normal life. But we also need to understand that that is true for the church. And this mission that we are on together is the most important mission that there is in the world today. And Paul says, stand together with one spirit and one purpose. Fight together for the faith. Live a life that's worth living because someday we're going to be like Paul, and we're not going to be here on this earth anymore. Can you and I live a life where, as Paul says, we live as citizens of the gospel of the king? Right now, we're going to take communion together as a, a church body. And as we do that this morning, I hope that we can be reminded that if we're a follower of Christ, that's who we are, that we are living as a citizen of the gospel of the king. That's what we have been called to do. That is our mission here on this earth, and we get to do that together. Mm -hmm.